0: So, over the last, I guess, eight weeks or so, we've been looking at the various church vision statements uh, that, we, that we have, and each of these statements really tries to summarize uh, what it is that we feel called, God has called us to uh, in order to fulfill His purposes through this church in particular. Um, and this week, we're, we're considering what it means to be a church that is expectant. I don't know, Aidan, if you wouldn't mind putting the first... If you could put the slide up just with the the statement, that'd be helpful. Hopefully you can read that. I'll just read it out. This is what it says. We see a church that is expectant. We will never settle down in material affluence or comfort. Rather, we will be active in furthering God's work through this church. We will never give up. We will not see Christian service as a chore... Mindful of God's past faithfulness, we will move forward with renewed expectation. So what does it mean to be a church that is expectant? That's what we want to look at this morning. And before going too far with that, it's probably worth defining some terms. What do we mean by the word expectant even? What does that actually mean? You know, Perhaps the best way to define it is the way that we talk about uh, mothers in pregnancy, looking forward to the arrival of the baby. We're waiting in, in anticipation of something. There's an expectation that something will happen at some point in the future. And this isn't a passive thing because those future expectations shape what we do in the present. A mother and a father who are expecting a child will take steps to prepare for that baby's arrival. Well, as much as you can prepare. And we might have other expectations maybe for our future career and those expectations in the future will govern and control some of the choices that we make today in terms of what we want to study at school or university. And expectations can also operate in a negative sense. Preventing us from doing something, maybe out of a sense of fear for what the consequences might be. On occasion, I've chosen not to continue to the top of a mountain because of worsening snow conditions. Because getting caught in an avalanche isn't in my top ten list of things on my bucket list to do before I die. Or to expedient, (laughs) to get there quicker than, than maybe I'd hoped. So if our expectations are faulty then they can lead us to make poor choices. And there are examples throughout the Bible from Genesis through the revelation of God warning His people about the devastating results of faulty expectations. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 to 17, when uh, God was speaking to Adam and Eve in the garden, It says this, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. God tells Adam what to expect if he eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He will die. God set this expectation to protect Adam and Eve. But then we all know what happens a few verses later in Genesis chapter three. We read the serpent's words to Eve in chapter three, verses four to six, it says this. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave someone to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Adam and Eve chose to believe the lie of the serpents and the expectation that they had in their minds of, of God commanding them to say, if, "If you eat of this fruit, then you will die. death will come." The appeal is that's made by the serpent is that instead of an expectation of death, there's an expectation of achieving wisdom and gaining something. Their expectation of what would happen was changed, and as a result. They ate the fruit, bringing sin and death into the world, cutting mankind off from God, unleashing chaos, death, and destruction on the earth right down through the ages to the current day. So the expectations we hold for the future influence things that we do in the here and now. They have consequences for good or ill. So each of us individually and then collectively as a gathered people in a local church inevitably have expectations of the future. And these expectations that we hold will inevitably shape what we do today and carry consequences for the future. When this statement was written back 13 years ago when International Baptist Church as it was at the time was replanted as Hillview Community Church, the light of the gospel in this place was on the verge of being extinguished. And this vision statement was adopted because until Christ returns, Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire needs to have churches that are faithful to Jesus Christ, witnesses to the power of the gospel. And unless our expectations as a church are aligned with God's word, and therefore his will, the light in this place will be extinguished. That's maybe quite a strong statement to make. And how can I make such a claim? And I do that because these are the very words that Jesus himself has said to his church. If you turn to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, let's just read how Jesus talks to a church who had their expectations set in the wrong place. Revelation 3 and verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Would you that were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. For context, Laodicea was an ancient city now located in modern-day Turkey, and it was, by all accounts, very affluent due to its location on several major trade routes. In AD 60, during the reign of Nero, the city was completely destroyed by an earthquake. And the citizens at that time declined imperial assistance from Rome and were able to rebuild the city from scratch from their own wealth. Paul in Colossians mentions the church in Laodicea, which was probably planted by Epaphras. And Jesus himself brings a charge against this church in the letter that we've just read in Revelation. And the charge is that they are lukewarm. And because of this, he was going to spit them out of his mouth. The word translated as spit would probably be more accurately translated as vomit, such as the strength of the reaction. That's pretty strong. We need to be careful not to misinterpret what it means to be lukewarm. Because in our culture, in our day, we're inclined to think of cold and hot as being opposite ends of a spectrum in a spiritual sense, where cold is, is an undesirable coldness and hardness of heart that's negatively disposed towards God, whereas hot is desirable, meaning someone is passionate about God and the things of God, and maybe you might describe their faith being on fire. And we think of lukewarm as being something in the middle that's neither hot nor cold. It's a bit mediocre, a bit half-hearted. But this isn't what's meant in this context. In this context of what Jesus is calling out, Jesus is saying, I would rather you are hot or cold, because either of those states are beneficial. In hot places like Laodicea, access to cold springs of water brings refreshment, and equally hot springs of water can bring health and healing and well-being. Laodicea, because of its, its location, had neither access to cold nor hot springs. So water was transported through pipes to the to the city, and that meant that the cold water, by the time it arrived there, or the hot water, by the time it arrived there, was lukewarm. And these pipes choked up with calcified scales, which contaminated the water, so it wasn't fit to drink, nor was it great for a bath. It was next to useless. So in this sense, if something is lukewarm, it's actually good for nothing. The church in Laodicea were no longer embodying Christ in their community. So Jesus was going to remove them. So how did the church get into this state of being useless? They had settled down. Back to that first statement in our we see a church that is uh, that is expectant, we will not settle down. They thought they had arrived at the destination. They were no longer in a state of expectation because they were expecting all of the wrong things. Look at the words that Jesus uses to describe their thinking. I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Who is at the center of each of those statements? I The expectancy they once had was now located in the wrong place. Like Adam and Eve, they'd fallen for a lie. And at some point in their history, which wasn't a very long one, this letter was probably written only 20 or 30 years perhaps after the church had been planted, they'd come to believe that the church exists solely for my good, for my prosperity. And whatever terms you want to define that, whether it's material wealth, comfort, power, social standing... Once that state of self-sufficiency has been reached, all forward movement ceases. The church had compromised with the culture that was surrounding them. And because they'd compromised, they became useless to the point where Jesus wants to vomit them out of his mouth. The church is essentially reduced to a social club. It's no longer salty, the light is extinguished. And the reason for this is the true condition as Jesus sees it. Look at how Jesus describes their actual condition. The words he uses are they are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. God looks on the heart and not the externalities. The church in Laodicea was being deceived into thinking all was well on the outside when in fact... The opposite was true. Being deceived into thinking they've got correctly oriented expectations is a never-present danger to God's people. We have an enemy who is literally hell-bent on destroying the church. That old serpent, the devil, the father of lies, and the world in which we live, which is continually trying to press us into its mold, to take on its vision, to take on its values, Those pressures in conjunction with the crookedness of our own hearts puts us all in danger of swallowing the lie that we're chasing after the right things when in fact we're not. Just before the Israelites were about to enter the promised land having wandered around the wilderness for 40 years Moses gathers them together and he issues this warning because he knows that as they are about to enter the promised land when they will enter into a place of plenty and a place where they'll be able to settle down and enjoy life, this is what he says. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up And you forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with his fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there's no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. We can all easily fall for the lie that the power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. If our expectations are solely confined to material comforts or tangible objects, then it's really easy to forget God. So what are your expectations this morning for who you rooted in? What should we be expecting as a church? What do correctly ordered expectations of a church look like? If expectancy is being in a state of expecting something to happen in the future, to anticipate something... In what sense should we be expecting as a church? And therefore, what should we be expecting to happen in the future? What should we be anticipating? To understand that, I think we need to step back and look at the big picture. We need to understand what God's ultimate purpose is and work backwards from there. If you turn to Revelation chapter 21 and the beginning of of that, Revelation 21 verses 1, And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Ultimately, the trajectory of history is that God someday will recreate this fallen world. He will usher in a new heaven and a new earth, and he will banish evil from his creation. God in doing that is redeeming a people for himself through the shed blood of Christ on the cross. And this people, the church, is the bride of Christ with whom he will dwell and will share in his glory as he reigns supreme over all of the, things. This is where God is going. This is ultimately what we are to be expecting for. And what that means today, on the 26th of March in 2023, is that God is today building his church by drawing people to himself. And today he is transforming his people into the likeness and image of Christ. He is making his church into a beautiful bride who will one day perfectly reflect the radiance of the bridegroom. And we can be absolutely sure that God is doing this and absolutely sure that he will accomplish all of his purposes because he's proven himself to be faithful in the past. If that's where we're heading, then what does that mean for what we should be expecting here in Hillview Community Church for? It means at least the following. We will never arrive at the final destination as a church, this side of Christ's return. God's work of transforming lives will continue until Christ's return, so we should never give up. Even though we are a small church in the northeast of Scotland, we, by God's grace, are part of a much larger story being played out on a cosmic scale. So that means that everything we do to pursue God's purposes here in Aberdeen and the wider world, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem to us, counts for something. If our expectations continue to be aligned with God's then people will come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord, and we will be transformed more and more into His image. Everything we do in this church should be done with the aim of fulfilling God's purposes for His glory to be displayed more fully through us. And if we make the mistake of replacing God's purposes with our own purposes, if we settle for the pursuit of our own comforts in this church, then Christ's warning stands and he will spit us out. So how do we ensure that that doesn't happen? Let's go back to the letter to the church in Laodicea. If you go back to uh, Revelation chapter 3, and we'll just continue reading what it says in, in verses 18 to 20. This is what Jesus says to that church. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and him with me. When we think of that image of the door and Christ standing at the side of the door, we often think about that in terms of people who haven't come to know Christ. But it's worth remembering that these verses, this letter is addressed to the church, to people who already know him. The problem is that they're no longer aligned to God's purposes and are no longer producing good works. So radical changes are required. And this is how love operates. Jesus rebukes the church in Laodicea because he loves them. The church at Laodicea, just like the church here in Hillview, was bought by him at a huge price. He died on a cross for his bride, so he's not going to be prepared to give her up that easily. He calls them to repent, to turn back from the path that they're on. And he does this with two metaphors, two metaphors that are used to describe how this relationship between his church and Jesus Christ needs to change to get them back on track. And both metaphors remind them that everything they need is to be found in Jesus himself. You can't find it anywhere else. In the first, they're in a position of need. Uh, They don't have what's required to live, a life aligned to God's purpose. So Jesus advises them, to come to him and buy everything that's necessary. To buy gold that, that is refined by fire, that's faith that's proven by testing. To buy white garments that are closed to cover their, their sin and their shame. And to buy salve for their eyes that their eyes might be opened so that they may see the true state that they're in, but also to see what's truly important to God. And in the second metaphor, You know, it's like they've shut Christ out of the house. Christ is standing outside a locked door, a door which can only be opened from the inside. God, in his grace and his mercy, is patient. He doesn't force himself on us. He doesn't burst through the door. Jesus quietly stands at the door and knocks. And he issues an invitation. All of our expectations are ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. All of the wealth in the world isn't enough to satisfy the needs of your soul. You can have the healthiest body, but one day it will be consigned to a grave, reduced to the dust from which it was formed. You can have the best of relationships in this life, but they're temporary at best. Because one day, either people will let you down or you'll let people down. You can get to a stage in life when you think you've arrived. You've ticked off everything on the bucket list, but death will still steal it from you. We need to be constantly reminded of this ultimate truth. This life is not the be-all and the end-all. God's purposes for you, God's purposes for this church, are far more significant than we can ever imagine, and they last well beyond the grave, stretching right out into eternity. So here in Hillview Community Church this morning, what expectations do you have for this church? What expectations do you have for your life? And are they aligned with God's purposes to build his church and to transform his people into the image of Christ? Are there areas in the life of this church or in your individual life that are shut off behind a closed door? Areas which you said are off limits to Christ and his lordship. If we want to see God's purposes fulfilled in our lives. If we want to see God's purposes fulfilled in this church and in this city. If we want to be conquerors who one day will rule with Christ in every area. Every area needs to be surrendered to him as we've been singing this morning. Hillview Community Church, brothers and sisters, you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. By surrendering everything to Christ, we acknowledge him as the source of all of our strength and everything that we need. And in doing so, we will be aligned with God's purposes to build his church and to transform his people into the likeness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. On this basis, and this basis alone, can we serve him faithfully in the full expectation of seeing his promises fulfilled. We can expect to see a church that relies on God's word to guide us in everything we do. We can expect to see a church declaring the greatness and the goodness of God. We can expect to see a church that tells people about Jesus who died on a cross for their sins, who rose on the third day and is one day coming back in judgment. We can expect to see this baptismal tank behind me filled on a regular basis. We can expect to see God's love displayed through the selfless actions of people from this church towards people in deep and dire need. We can expect to see a loving family of brothers and sisters united in Christ, honoring one another in this place in the way that we speak to one another, and in the way we speak about one another. We can expect to see a church that is trusting in God's sovereignty over everything in life. We can expect to see church growth and the expansion of Christ's kingdom. We can expect to see new churches being planted in Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire. We can expect to see people joyfully laboring in Christian service we can expect this church to continue to be a faithful witness to the generations to come and so much more, and so much more. So as we come just now to close in prayer, I'm just going to use the words of Paul from Ephesians three fourteen to 21. I would ask each of us, every one of us, myself included, to examine our hearts and our motives before God. And if there are things that we need to be repentant of, then the invitation stands. Just knock on, the, just open the door that Christ is knocking on quietly and he will come in. He will provide salve for our eyes he will provide gold refined by fire. He will take off our dirty clothes. He will cover over our shame and our nakedness with white robes. So let's just take a moment of quiet and then I'll pray the words of Ephesians three fourteen to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father